The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Thank you all for getting in a little closer. Um, I understand that uh, that Gil, I believe it is, is, is um, has a series on the paramis uh, on Mondays. Um, and so that's a really wonderful subject, the paramis, the paramitas. I love to talk about those and um, thought I would talk a little bit about one of them tonight. So hopefully you will go to Gil's Monday night meetings too and get uh, a different view because there are many ways that that these qualities that we cultivate in meditation practice um, are just natural qualities for us in our human life and we can cultivate them even without meditation practice but meditation practice helps us deepen them so the one I'd like to speak about tonight is the ground of practice I call that the title of my talk is giving or generosity and this is a a very big subject for us as human beings and it's a very big subject in Buddhist texts Um, so I'd like to talk a little bit about it but I would like to, to do it if it's amenable to you if it's all right to you to do it as a bit of a dialogue tonight because we just have these kind of habits of of it's just the way we are um, we're we're kind of habitual creatures so one thing that's a habit is coming to the meditation sitting and then we sit and that's a good habit um, I mean, there are wonderful habits. There's nothing wrong with habits, but but sometimes it's just nice to be aware of them. And then then there's the the practice and the habit of someone sitting up here where I'm sitting, talking for a certain amount of time. And and uh, everyone out there, you all are are just sitting there. But I thought if it's all right, we could try dialogue. Dialogue is a very, um, it's a very wonderful way to deepen practice. Actually, there are, uh, there's a man named Greg Kramer who's kind of pioneered um, in modern times some ancient practices and he calls it insight dialogue and he has a whole way of, of being in relationship with one another through meditative awareness. But especially because the subject of my talk tonight is giving, it seems more generous to be uh, in dialogue and and also for me to be aware of generosity uh, since I can just go on and on and on. <laughs> so I will start the ball rolling a little bit um, and then I'll then I'll stop and ask if anyone wants to offer anything Um, and I guess we'll have the mic to pass around for that so that we can all have our voices heard it's also a really wonderful practice to to 
to be aware of putting your voice into this community, this fellowship that we come together to do uh, from the place of silence. That's a very interesting practice. So it's um, generosity, which is called dana in the Pali language, is really the very first practice that the Buddha talked about in many of the texts. But I'd actually like to begin by quoting um, Stephen Jay Gould, who was, he died unfortunately at a fairly young age, I think just 60. Um, He was a Harvard paleontologist and a zoologist who was also one of those people who was very talented in many fields. He wrote a lot of books on evolution, paleontology, um, zoology, and also he wrote a couple of books on baseball because he loved baseball. Um, so I'd like to quote him what, what he wrote um, on this subject of giving and generosity, this ground He wrote a clear and moving outline about this um, right after 9-1-1. He was living in New York at the time. And he wanted to remind the people, I think particularly his fellow New Yorkers, but all of us, this was published, I've forgotten where it was exactly, and I got this right after, it's like a week later. Um, He wanted to remind us of this essential fact of human nature, that we are that we are, that generosity is, is so broad and so deep in us and that it really takes a lot of effort to keep generosity from bubbling up. So he wrote, In this moment of crisis, we can reaffirm and celebrate an essential truth too easily forgotten and regain some crucial comfort too readily foregone. Good and kind people outnumber all others by thousands to one. The tragedy of human history lies in the enormous potential for destruction in rare acts of evil, not in the high frequency of evil people. Complex systems can only be built step by step, whereas destruction requires but an instant. Thus, in what I like to call the great asymmetry, every spectacular incident of evil is balanced by 10,000 acts of kindness, too often unnoted and invisible as the ordinary efforts of a vast majority. And then he goes on to tell this uh, wonderful story of, um, of a bakery and in his neighborhood and the people in his neighborhood, including himself and his family. Uh, The bakery just kept making food for the firemen, kept making um, bread and cinnamon buns and apple dumplings, and uh, and the neighbors just delivered it. So they had this kind of rotation flowing through, this kind of giving from... In a way, what we recognize and what our meditation practice allows us to see more clearly is that everything's a gift everything in uh, everything in life is a gift and that 
deepens our trust in life and ourselves. And that includes even things that are that are difficult or even things that are that are sorrowful or painful, uh, loss and grief. That's a gift too, and that's another thing that our meditation practice particularly helps us to see that, to be aware of that, I should say, to integrate that, to feel it mind and body. When we sit down in this simple practice, what we what becomes clear to us is how we are one integrated organism, mind and body. We're not just all living in our heads. That's what the practice of breath awareness um, keeps us in touch with. So everything's a gift, even life itself, of course, our lives itself. But we have these patterns of thinking that incline us toward believing that we own the gifts. And, and really, we simply receive the use of everything in life. I think one analogy that occurs to me, and I guess because the holidays are just over, and when we fall into that habit of thinking we're like little kids around Christmas, and after they, we rip off the wrapping paper and clutch our gift, you know, and we don't even want to let anybody look at it or much less let our brother or sister play with it. And, and that's fine. Um, that's the way we are too. But we also have that other impulse that holds out our gift and wants to share it. Hold out that new toy. We delight in that as humans. So perhaps this is a time that someone has some story or some thing that occurs to them. Just a simple kind of generosity that seems maybe foundational or perhaps perhaps someone has something that that doesn't agree with that there's certainly a lot that looks like out there in the world that doesn't seem very generous so and if and if you don't that's fine this is, it's all an experiment. So, and um, let me just put in here that in the spirit of generosity, even though in such a small group of people, it doesn't seem as if we would need to use the microphone for anyone who's using the hearing-assisted devices. That's how they're able to hear what we're all saying. On that note, thank you. So I was thinking about this not too long ago because. Um, I was thinking about generosity and how most of my life I've considered myself a kind and generous person. It was just something I felt inside of me. And um, a couple of years ago, I started practicing meditation. And some things started coming up um, that I started wondering, well, what makes me think I'm so kind and generous? Um, I started realizing that I'm uncomfortable around um, when my coworkers would ask me for charity to donate to their you know, fun runs or whatever, I would turn it down and feel really uncomfortable. And I would walk away thinking, well, aren't I a kind and generous person? I mean, and then I realized that I actually don't, I don't give to charity. And I, I've never given money to a homeless person. So then I really started wondering, well, 
What is it that makes me think I'm so kind and generous? I started thinking the only thing generous about me was my opinion of myself. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, you know, I haven't necessarily opened up my wallet and let money come flying out of it yet, but I I realized that, oh, well, I'm I'm more than happy to give my time. So I I volunteer now. I uh, I volunteer here, for example. tutor at the public library and that sort of thing. So it, it actually helps me believe that I actually am a generous person <laughs> rather than <laughs> just think I found that to be very helpful. Thank, thank you. That's just a, a, a beautiful story. That, that opens so many things. You, you really had uh, some wonderful insights into... Um, Many things. One is that what do we think, what kind of categories do we make of generosity? You know, is it money? Is it time? And also, I love that line you had about my my only generous thing was my opinion of myself. But but in the Buddhist understanding, um, generosity begins with oneself, sort of like analogous to the Judeo-Christian understanding that, you know, charity begins with because it's, um, it's a gift we give to ourselves uh, to do meditation, to really inquire what life is and what, what we're, how we can best live it, how, how, how it feels, how it accords with us most deeply to live it, um, and how we can keep opening to it. So, thank you. First of all, I thank you extremely for um, bringing this topic up and opening it up for discussion. I think with what he had said, I think I've often asked myself, what does it mean to be generous? And for a long time, I've thought, well, my definition of being generous is doing something that I like that I like to do while I'm giving it. And at first I used to think, hey, that's pretty selfish because, you know, I'm not thinking about the other person completely. 50% of it is myself. Um, but what I really found is that generosity, it's a judgment. But I start making a judgment about what it means to be generous if I start saying, well, it needs to be something that I give only for the other person and you know I have nothing at stake in it there's no percentage there and um, like I work part-time and I don't ever don't even volunteer and I keep thinking wow well I work in family practice wouldn't it be great to volunteer some of my time but after starting um, insight meditation just in November of 2007 I started a mindful parenting group and then I think well who am I I barely started meditating, and who am I to lead this group? And then I'm going to give a talk next week at my work on mindful parenting, and I'm like, oh my goodness, what have I gotten myself into? But at the same time, I just, I feel so much more generous now because I feel like, for me, generosity really is doing something that I love doing, being a student and a teacher in whatever it is that I'm doing. Thank you. Yes, that uh, 
beautiful story of that generosity of oneself um, and to oneself and it's a generous thing to, to see ourselves and that's what we open ourselves up to when we when we sit down in meditation we see ourselves complete um, but we see it all mind and body and all the six senses uh, that So that reminded me of a quote that another quote that I wanted to maybe say today um, was from this uh, a, a book which is basically a, a meditation manual, but it does it's called the Visuddhi Maga, and it, or the Path of Purification is a translation of it, and it but it does have some interesting um, psychological. Um, reflections in it and so particularly what you said brought that up um, but also what you said the it's that it, we, because we have this ability to know um, and reflect we can reflect in the delight of relinquishment I'm sort of these are sort of my paraphrase um, on knowing those times when our hearts are free from, as the Visuddhimagga says, the stain of avarice. So what it says is, this recollection of generosity conditions factors of non-clinging in the present moment and in future moments. When a person is devoted to recollection of generosity, she becomes ever more intent on generosity. His perseverance is for non-greed, she acts in conformity with loving kindness and is fearless. He has much happiness and gladness. So, um, and there are, there are many, many texts. And in fact, I have a, um, a few of them um, that I put down and brought tonight. But I think you get a sense of the flavor of how important this is to Buddhist practice and how how much um, how much practitioners from ancient times are reflected on generosity and how it can really um, how it can really change our our um, our way of being incline us toward really happiness gladness um, one of course that's a kind of fundamental of Buddhism that one uh, the law of cause and effect which is which is karma in, uh, if we want to use that Sanskrit term but one one thing conditions another I mean everything in the world has causes and effects and so on this psychological and um, if you will metaphysical level of how we incline our minds generosity brings very very many gifts to us so perhaps someone else wants to speak
It occurred to me uh, when your your words and, and uh, what you said um, that I'm able to be more generous when I can get up out of my own way. Um, I find when I'm if I have something in mind that I, I want to be doing instead of being present for possibly what's going on right now. Let's say it's could be banal, like banal, but um, helping somebody out, helping out with homework, doing a variety of different things. If I have my own, if I'm wrapped up in my own whatever needs, desires, thoughts, plans, I can't be there and I can't be generous. I, I get resentful. So if I can get my, out of my own way and just be present, it's I can be there and, and there's no conflict. So I always find the conflict sort of within um, that prevents generosity. Um, so I've been trying to um, sort of as a practice whenever somebody asks for help to offer whatever I can. So if somebody asks for money on the street, I see if I can give that to them. I have it, um, etc. And just sort of see what it feels like. And of a sounding board. I, I think in general, just stepping back broad, broadly, I think held, um, tightly held beliefs get in the way of being present and being generous and being magnanimous or equanimous. And um, when you so fervently believe something, you're able to really discount really what's going on. I think some of the great horrors in this world have happened with strongly held beliefs. So, we're on the edge of what's with <laughs> Beautiful, thank you. Yes, um, you're pointing to you know some of the really the, the uh, one of the big issues in uh, Buddhism which you may all have heard of the three the famous three characteristics that the Buddha pointed out of of human nature um, and of, of life as we know it as human beings our interface with life um, imp- impermanence and um, unease or uh, or Stress, anguish, sometimes called suffering, and a not self, non self. And so those tightly held beliefs are a way of creating self. And when you, that, those are what, that, those, that's just exactly the mechanism by which we create identity and, re, and reify. Of course, we are all individuals, we are all unique, and that's. Uh, you know, another great gift that that we have each other to be to know ourselves. I mean, n- not one human being could ever exist. Uh, I mean, this is sort of s- so obvious, but we forget that that we couldn't exist without relation, without other. Um, and if you, uh, it's very. It's a very interesting reflection to really take that, as you said, to take it broader and just see where you can go with that. But um, this 
this holding on tightly, and also at the beginning of your story, of your of your recounting, um, you put your finger on something I remember from years ago. A Buddhist teacher said, and she she gave a talk on, you know, what I don't remember if it was on the subject of generosity, but but it was about presence. I think so. What gets in the way of being present, and it's our busyness, haste, or self identification, and and, and a lot of these things are cultural um, because we live in a very hasty culture and a speedy culture. And so we just get wrapped up in that energetic movement because that's the way life goes on. I mean, we drive on the freeways and we just, that's the way life, it, a lot of it is as we know it. That's why it's such a gift to come to a place like this and just sit down and see what life is like in that mode. So, lovely practices, yes, to just see what it feels like when someone asks for help or asks for something. That was something, um, something else I was thinking of also. Um, to make a similar point, just listening. If we really are, that's a, that's a great act of generosity, to really listen to people with our full attention and presence. Um, and we can do that. It's a practice. <laughs> a lot of times our minds are kind of split. Um, that, that's kind of natural too. We are kind of naturally divided, but we're also one unit. So we have to keep, we have to hold that together at the same time. Uh, we're sort of bicameral brain, binocular, but, um, but really being present for someone, not, not even if they're asking you for help, but just listening to what people say. And that can be a difficult practice because some people are in your face, so to speak. But, um, but if you can just stay with not going to judgment, as, so not rushing to judgment. It's, you should recognize if people are in your face and if they're threatening you, of course. This is kind of the art of practice, is figuring out where you are. But I'm talking in more ordinary life, general terms, with your colleagues or your family, um, to really listen to them. And um, another another quote from the Visuddhimagga um, that kind of points to how giving is also receiving. Um, so this is a little it's a little bit of a logical progression here, but um, it's an outline of skillful ways to deal with one's own anger or resentment. So one is reviewing the interconnection of all beings, how, how we are related. And if that doesn't work, to review the advantages of generosity and loving kindness. And if that doesn't work, now we're getting into like these very specific ancient Buddhist practices, but which still are 
worth trying. I've tried this one, for example. View the constituent elements of the person you are upset with or angry with. That is water, earth, fire, air, and space. So in other words, get some distance in there. Uh, Feeling perception, and then we get into feeling perception, consciousness, aggregates, mind consciousness. And finally, the last practice, um, and remember this is all in dealing with your own anger or resistance. You, You and another person are in relation and you feel this kind of emotion come up. Practice giving gifts. And, the, and there are two ways to practice giving. So that may not, you may not be able to do that but at that very moment, but you should, you, should, you should try to do it at the moment and make it a practice to keep, to find ways to express, as you've said, that is you're finding ways to express your, your move to generosity. So... For, and then this is the quote... For noble beings, minds retain balance by giving preference to every being's welfare, by disliking every being's suffering, by the desire for the various successes achieved by every being to last, and by impartiality toward all beings. And to all beings, noble beings, give gifts which are a source of wholesome pleasure. So it may be a little bit of old-fashioned language, but it's, um, it's emphasized again and again. So... Hi. I just wanted to go back to what you were saying before about um, the mind being conditioned to acts of generosity. And um, I remember reading an exercise a while ago in a book somewhere about trying to at least do five acts of generosity a day and mm-hmm. trying to count, you know, at least doing five. And I thought to myself, oh gosh, what? You know, that's going to be hard. But then as I started to think more about it, and, you know, because I started meditating, because you're more aware, because you're meditating, you know, I came up with countless things, just little things. Things where you form like this connection, you said, to another human being, just by opening the door for someone or letting another car pass me, you know, in a four-way stop, or even smiling at somebody I don't know in the hallway for the first time. And the connection you feel, it is primes you for further acts of generosity. So I find that very um, heartwarming to know that my meditation practice itself is an act of generosity for myself, for my family, for everyone else that I touch around me. So I, I think that's wonderful. Thank you. We all know these things, um, and and the the kind of the great gift of meditation practice is that we know them more and more completely, and we know them more deeply. But I think all all humans know them, and you uh, you point to another 
little piece I had brought tonight, which is um, which is to bring in the way that in Zen practice, um, in Zen practice, we we uh, we dedicate actually in all the um, in all the forms of Buddhist practice, the Tibetan Vajrayana, the Mahayana Chan, and Zen, and in Theravada, like insight meditation, Vipassana, all those forms of practice dedicate the the, the merit um, of practice itself and generosity to all beings. So it's always given away. It's always being given away in that way we keep reminding ourselves that we we really don't own it we, we just can uh, we can just let it flow through us we can we can help it too we can add to it as you've all had these wonderful stories of doing like just the, the simplest things once they are once you start seeing the opportunities they're just um, they're just endless So one thing that in, in Buddhism is also kind of important um, is, it, is that generosity is, it's not the same kind of philanthropic generosity where the, where the philanthropist wants to be known and recognized. And often people in Buddhist countries make offerings at, anonymously. You know, so that's a very respected way to do things. But it's not that you can't give, you know, that you can't recognize yourself. It's just that the, the Buddhist psychology recognizes there's such a strong tendency towards self-reification, towards self-identification, that if you can find ways to give um, anonymously, I mean, giving to homeless people, in a way you're recognized, but you don't have this whole, you know, um, societal recognition thing going on in a sense. Uh, it's more of a of a fleeting human to human dynamic and meeting there. Um, so there's also from the from the path of purification, the Visuddhimagga, a kind of a, uh, how we give. You know, an attitude. And I think this comes naturally, too. They just put it out there for us. We give gently and kindly and respectfully and joyfully. So from another text, um, which is uh, called the Anguttara Nikaya. It's one of the many sutras, uh, collection of sutras, actually. These are the five rewards of generosity. One is dear and appealing to people at large. One is admired by good people. One's good name is spread about. One does not stray from the rightful duties of the householder. And with the breakup of the body at death, one reappears in a good destination. So now we get into, you know, some more cosmological kind of Buddhism with that last one. So these um, these merits and rewards in other realms are not part of my direct experience and actually they're not part of any 
direct experience of any teacher that I have ever known, but I'm pretty agnostic about them. They may be so, and they may not. Um, That's my position. Um, But there's... But there's a... And we have to remember, too, that, that... that this dwelling on the merit uh, can become very formulaic and habitual and, and ritualistic, and that's and in fact it has in some in some quote unquote Buddhist cultures. But that's something that um, that also it's that we have to let go of. In one way, we can talk about generosity as as not clinging, which some people say is the fundamental message of Buddhist teaching. That, in fact, it's a kind of a famous quotation from the Buddha. There is nothing whatsoever in the world that is worthy of being clung to. So, so generosity is it, it conditions us to see that there's nothing worth clinging to. Um, that it's all flowing through. So. Hello. Okay. <laughs> um, we have uh, um, some quotes hanging up on our little bulletin board at home, and one of them is from Simple Living, and I think it says 20, 28 ways to be happy. And it touches on something you said that I love, and it says um, try to do something nice every day without getting caught. <laughs> <laughs> of generosity and then also another thing you said reminded me of um, you know so often we think of generosity of course as uh, giving money and time but also um, there's the generosity of remembering to uh, be generous with uh, forgiveness for ourselves and others yes thank you that's uh Try to do something nice every day without getting caught. I like that. That's very to the point. <laughs> yes, there's. Um, it, it, it's not coming right exactly to my mind right now. But what you said at the last, I think, um, if I heard correctly, uh, was that. It's, it's also important in Buddhism to be generous to oneself and to t- take care of oneself. Um, so we have that paradox again about there's the, there's the famous anatta, not self, that we all are, but yet we are all these selves. So, uh, and we, we have to... I think it's from the Dhammapada that um, the Buddha says we, that we have to... We have to care for ourselves. Without, without loving ourselves, we cannot love other. So that is important. So it's it's a big subject, and on some of the other paramis are, um, you know, are a little harder maybe to to take in. Or, or to talk about, but generosity, the basic one, the foundational practice 
um, I mean, the Buddha said in many places, in many different ways, that you know, if all you did was be generous, then then you would you would know the truth. You would. That's uh, of course there are many old tales about that. There's a whole series. Do you know the Jataka tales, which are um, there's a whole series of tales, sort of for children, of the Buddha's many lifetimes when he was. Yes, you might do this in your mindful parenting, where the Buddha was uh, was all these different animals, and the different animals did all these acts of generosity, like the parrot who um, who who flew to the ocean and got you know, a few drops, whatever he could hold in his beak and to put out the forest fire where all of his friends in the forest where he lived and all of his friends who couldn't fly were, you know, the elephants and the deer and the squirrels and the lions and the tigers and they were all, they were all being threatened with uh, fiery death. And of course, as the story goes, he, he prevailed. He put out that fire and everyone was saved even though it took him eons to do it. So they're kind of magical, mythical stories, but they're all about generosity in one way or another. The Jataka tales. So some of the other paramis, you know, when we start talking about renunciation, that doesn't have an immediate feel-good kind of resonance for us, but, but generosity we all we all know that how good it how good it feels, uh, and even you know meditation it, itself is another part of me. And patience, um, patience is another deeply foundational one. But but generosity there there can never be there's not an end to it, and there can never be enough of it. So I had um, maybe one other thing to say, uh, one other quotation um, from Dogen, the Zen master of the um, 8th century Christian era. He, um, he was a founder of Soto Zen, and Dogen is also a poet, so I like to end the talks uh, that I give with a little bit of poetry, and this is a kind of a Dogen poem. When uh, Dogen says, when one learns well, being born and dying are both giving. All productive labor is fundamentally giving, entrusting flowers to the vine, birds to the season, also are meritous acts of giving. It is not only a matter of exerting physical effort. One should not miss the right opportunity. So you've all brought up uh, these wonderful ways not to miss the right opportunity, being present when you're present, the right opportunity is always there. But it takes a lot of development to be present. That's why we sit down and do this. And I think it may be 
here, maybe in this meditation center, but in some there's bhavana. Bhavana, the word, actually there's not... Meditation isn't really a Buddhist kind of term, um, but bhavana, mental development, is. And that's what was translated by the 19th century scholars as meditation. But it's really a kind of... um, very particular kind of awareness, mindfulness meditation, that we see that uh, through awareness, that whatever situation we're in, even the most difficult, they can be a right opportunity for giving. So, would anyone else... uh, have anything in uh, one of the pyramids that you mentioned in renunciation doesn't get a lot of play in western culture I think as we're all trying to attain grasp and stuff but uh, it seems to me that it, it, it the ability to let go will allow all of these to occur and renunciation isn't really what I've noticed very small ways. Um, um, I'm no longer interested in certain things. It's um, they fall away. The interests fall away, and it could look like, oh, he's not watching TV, or he's not doing this, or he's not doing that. He's renouncing, but it's not really renouncing. It's just letting go of it. And if you can let go enough, then you have lots of generosity. Lots of other things that you can, I guess, do or have or, I don't know, be. Um, Now, one of the things that occurred to me as far as letting go is when compassion seems to have a a direct opposite, which is judgment. If you have judgment, you know, the the compassion quotient seems to go way down. If you get, get rid of the judgment, at go, then you're able to feel other things and do other things. But if you see an individual and there's a judgment there, they're already preconditioning the interaction or the, how you approach and how that person will approach you. So, just rambling. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, Judgment's a roadblock. It's a big, it's just a barrier. It's just a big, but we're very conditioned to judge. And in fact, in a way, we have to be as human beings. It's part of our nature too. Otherwise, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have survived all these, whatever, a few million years. Um, you know, we had to judge what to run away from and what, and a lot of it's deeply conditioned in the, you know, just hardwired in. So it's, it is a form, one could also say, meditation practice, as we, Buddhist meditation practice, is a form of decondition, deconditioning. Um, but it was interesting. You, I mean, yeah. When you're, if there's a tiger there, uh, the response would be run away or do whatever is appropriate. But our, our self uh, preservation genes or habits, get folded in so much into our daily dealings of 
grasping and desire and Absolutely, absolutely, they do. So that's why it's that's why it's um, a practice to 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 keep seeing that because if you keep uh, because things keep coming up and every every situation is also new. So you know you may you may it's not that there's um, an end point. It's just ongoing that. Um, but you put your finger on it that judgment is a, it's a big hindrance for us it's a big and also the letting go the um, yeah so generosity can be looked at as letting go and so can renunciation both Well, I thank you all for being so generous with your listening and your words. Maybe we'll just sit quietly for the last few minutes. <laughs>